Hi guys, it's Andy McDonald and welcome to the Informed Performance Podcast. On today's show, I have the brilliant Heather Linden, the Director of Physical Therapy at the UFC. Heather is an experienced clinician with an extensive background working for the United States Olympic Committee before joining the UFC at their new state-of-the-art performance institute in Las Vegas. In this episode, we'll be discussing the skills and qualities that Heather has taken from the US Olympic setup in Colorado Springs through to being with her at the UFC. We'll also be discussing the injuries and the rehab process for their professional fighters and the value or way in which she integrates into a highly effective multidisciplinary performance and sports medicine team and a whole lot more. Thank you to everyone that's been supporting the show between its launch and this 18th episode. If you haven't done so already, then please subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes or insights from the thought leaders and top professionals that support elite athletes and teams. Speaking of which, here is the episode I recorded with Heather Linden. Heather Linden, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate um, you putting me on the show today. No problem. Um, Just to kick us off, and for anyone that's perhaps first encountering you now, could you just explain your background to create some context? Yep. Um, My name is Heather Linden. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. I am the director of physical therapy for all of UFC. Um, I've been at this role for a little over two and a half years now. Um, based out of the UFC Performance Institute, where we take care of a, about 600 athletes on roster. Um, previously before that, I spent about six and a half years with the United States Olympic team, working with over 50 various sports, um, traveling to three Olympic Games, and also working in Pan Am Games, Para Pan Am Games, and Youth Winter Olympic Games. And you, am I right in thinking that you worked with some combat athletes amongst all the other Olympic athletes when you were at Colorado Springs? Yep. So Colorado Springs is pretty much our combat capital, I would say. So all three disciplines of wrestling are based out of there. We have boxing, sometimes we have judo, taekwondo come through there, um, men's gymnastics. So pretty much all of the combat sports, um, their hub is pretty much Colorado Springs. And if they're not a resident athlete there, they come for various camps quite frequently. And beyond the kind of um, exposure to sports that relate to mixed martial arts, is there any kind of key attributes or skills that you think you, you know, you carried forwards from being in specifically an Olympic environment to now being in the UFC? Yeah, there's actually a ton of similarities that I think made this transition pretty seamless. Um, Working with wrestlers and stuff like that, you're getting a lot of trauma occurring on a daily basis from practicing. You pick up a lot of little tidbits, you know, whether it's sucking on a tea bag to stop blood in the mouth, whether it's, you know, laying on your back and tapping a heel for nosebleeds. There's so many different tricks you kind of learn in that combat area. And I was seamlessly able to bring that over to the UFC and continue even learning even more about combat sports over here. And can you kind of describe your role at the UFC? I know it's probably a bit of a mixed bag depending on, you know, where you are and what you're up to, but what's like, what's your typical role? So being the director of physical therapy, I'm in charge of both facilities in Las Vegas as well as Shanghai. Um, We have a multidisciplinary approach here at both facilities. So 
under the medical side, we have physical therapists, chiropractors, athletic trainers that are all based, and I'm in charge of their positions. Um, I roll up to our VPs who are in charge of all the performance and making sure strength and conditioning, myself and medical, and our nutrition team are all working cohesively. Uh, the role here is very, you know, every week it's a little bit different. We have athletes that will come and spend one day here or two years here to do a rehab. We have athletes that fly immediately after fights to get evaluations done on their injuries and also get placed on rehab programs. We have athletes that, um, we have about 40 athletes that live in Las Vegas currently. So we see them on a day to day, depending, you know, if they had a hard training session the night before and some little injury came up or they need a little tweak in order to continue the next day. We also get a lot of trauma. You know, athletes will be training at our facility. We'll have dislocations. We'll have fractures that occur immediately. And then on top of that, I also travel to all the title fights or the pay-per-view fights. And I'm on the road at least, I'd say, once a month anywhere internationally in the world that our fight is, taking care of our athletes to prep them for fight week. And then, you know, flying back and then managing the role and managing our facility in Shanghai. And our facility in Shanghai is a little bit different than our facility in um, Las Vegas because we actually have some developmental um, athletes there. So a little bit of the younger population that are actually training day in and day out at that facility with MMA coaches, where here pretty much most of the athletes will bring their teams or their coaches and we integrate into those in the Las Vegas venue. And kind of on a on a man management level, how many sort of people are in the therapy or uh, sort of medical departments that you lead? So we have um, two others that are here in Las Vegas, and then we usually have about two students, either PT or ATC students at this point. And then um, our facility in Shanghai has two other uh, medical providers, and then we're working to get students there as well. So it's actually kind of a small group. There's only four full-time staff members, and then right now two rotating um, student positions that we host. Cool. And what kind of um, skills or qualities do you think you've developed from being at the UFC? What's kind of changed for you? So for me, I would say definitely uh, hands-on manual-based therapist. You know, I've always been that way from my role a long time ago, but I think my hands-on approach has really um, changed the outlook of the UFC and these athletes. I think I've also developed a lot of trauma when my first weeks here, it was right after a fight. And initially when I looked at, you know, some of the injuries that came after that fight, I was, I would have bet a hundred dollars that, you know, that was a fractured foot or that was a fractured wrist and the amount of swelling and stuff that these athletes get the day after the fights. Um, any clinician would probably think that, um, extremity is fractured or any, something severe has happened, but you've learned to face that and be able to do some, you know, functional screenings and, you know, really go back to your basics on, you know, like the Ottawa anchor rules, palpation skills, and be able to determine that, you know, a lot of these are just, you know, a lot of trauma that occurs during the fight. And once you get that swelling and stuff out of there, there isn't as severe injury as you would have thought initially. Do the fighters have to get um, sort of, you know, checked out post fight, or is it uh, based on whether the, um, you know, they believe they're injured or something's going on? Do, do they kind of get triaged either way? Yeah, so they get triaged no matter what. So right after the fight, they are brought into um, kind of a small clinic exam room where they have orthos, they have neurologists, and they do a full head to toe screening 
Obviously, if there's any kind of brain or trauma or concussion suspected, they're sent immediately to um, the hospital where a brain scan is performed. And then if not, we kind of make note of all the injuries. You know, unfortunately, this is right after a fight, so their adrenaline is really high. So sometimes they don't even really know what's going on at that point, I would say. So I think not until things calm down a few hours later after they fight do they start realizing, oh, wow, you know, unless it's a significant trauma they sustained in the fight, um, a lot of things kind of rear their head the next few days. And then our medical team and um, myself will reach out to them to kind of see, you know, what's going on in the next few weeks to make sure, you know, any injuries are taken care of. They're sent to the appropriate physicians, appropriate diagnostics are done. And then from a rehabilitation stage, you know, do they have the appropriate person to do the rehab where they're at? Or are we going to fly them into the PI and do their rehab here? And do you kind of fly that medical team, other than yourself, do you fly that medical team out to the different events depending on the country or do you kind of use satellite clinicians in the varying countries? Yep. So we always, um, there's always an ER doc that's our like our chief medical officer. And then there's our administrative um, medical team is always at every event as well as usually right now we're servicing as clinicians about, I would say, about 30 out of the 42 events of the year. So one of us will be there as well. If, if we are not there, we have a really great network that we've, you know, come to put together of people, different uh, clinicians all over the world that can help us out. So like I wasn't in Raleigh or anyone from my team wasn't in Raleigh a few weeks ago. So we reached out to some clinicians that we knew and they were able to get our athletes in, take care of them. So, you know, we're constantly evolving. We're a small group. So we're looking for, you know, people that have had experience in sports, people that have had experience in combat sports, especially to help us out when we aren't able to be everywhere. Yeah. So small operation, sorry, small group, but large operation, basically when you scale it. Yeah. Yeah, Um, absolutely. In terms of like, um, if we dive into some rehab and some, some PT stuff, what are the kind of common injuries that you see if we, uh, if we divide it into two parts, you know, training injuries and traumatic injuries, what are you commonly seeing? For sure. I would say, you know, one thing that really, um, sets aside what kind of injuries they have is kind of their background. And that's one thing I've definitely noticed from being, uh, with the UFC is, you know, athletes that have that grappling wrestling background, you know, are coming with those disc herniations, those AC um, separations, um, sometimes lumbar spine disc herniations is kind of what you're seeing on that aspect if they were kind of that grappling background. As you see in the training injuries on more of a jiu-jitsu level, you're seeing a lot more li- knee ligament injuries. You're um, as well seeing some cervical disc injuries on that side. So really you can start to pinpoint kind of the background of these athletes and you get to see trends in the different injuries that we're seeing. So we see a lot of cervical and lumbar spine disc herniations. Um, We see a lot of shoulder labrums, a lot of knee injury ligament issues, and then just the common fractures from the foot and the wrist and hand from trauma specifically. And then when we look at the trauma injuries and stuff that are occurring at fights, when we pull some of our statistics, we see, you know, a lot more lacerations, orbital fractures, nasal fractures, things like that of the trauma. Knees also tend to be a common one on that aspect, but you can really decipher the trauma versus the training injuries when it comes to these athletes. It's pretty uh, extensive, isn't it, to say the least, the the war wounds that these guys are picking up then. Um, Yeah, it really is. It's definitely unlike, I would say, any sport that I've worked with is, you know, I've had athletes that have come out of a fight that with a fractured jaw and their mouth being wired shut and they're like, hey, when can I get back in? You know, where 
I don't think in other sports you would see that quite so common. They're very, you know, they love what they do. They um, are very passionate about their day in their day out. And, you know, one day being out of service is definitely seems like a lifetime for them. Yeah. How do you kind of rein these guys in? Because obviously, you know, to say that these guys can tough it out is a, is a huge understatement. You know, how do you rein them in and um, make sure they're following a, a sensible plan? That's definitely been my number one priority since I started with the UFC is the educational piece. Um, I, these athletes are used to, you know, being banged up. They can push through a lot of things and that's kind of how they've always done it. So teaching this population that going into a fight with a little bit of a radiculopathy down your arm is not the norm. And it's taken me, I would say, about two years with educating, being on the road, being able to fix these little things, you know, as a grade one or two ankle sprain, you know, the week of a fight and them initially being like, well, I'm just going to push through it. And then showing how much you can do rehabilitation in that week and you to pull all your modalities, all your manual skills and have an ankle sprain. That's, you know, really not even an issue during that fight. And we've had that from some of our top fighters recently had to, you know, withstand ankle sprains and ankle injuries right before they go out the week of. So I think, you know, first off, it starts education. Second off, being able to prove, you know, what you're doing is meaningful and it changes their, and then they start to, you know, talk a little bit more. And then now they're looking at it and they come to us a lot more frequently just to make sure that their bodies are, you know, in alignment, healthier than they can ever be walking in that octagon with minimal injuries and being able to perform at their best. You know, this sport has definitely transitioned in the last few years from a more grinded out sport to performance based. Do you see, you know, a lot of our world champs coming from different sports previously, and, you know, they're really feeding that background of performance based fighting. And it's not just, you know, scrap it out always. There's game plans, there's coaching, there's nutrition that goes into it, there's strength and conditioning, you know, there's maintenance and physical therapy and, you know, making sure that all of those things align in order to have the best performance that night possible. You know, obviously there's a lot of athletes in varying leagues and um, and sports that um, play and compete with pain and uh, ongoing issues. And in perhaps more traditional team-based leagues, um, the team can pull an athlete out of a out of a game if they see fit from a medical standpoint or a therapy standpoint. Um, how how does the kind of autonomy work for you in terms of uh, can, you know can you pull a fighter out if it's uh, something small but you're not quite happy with how it could manifest? Yep. Um, so it's a very unique experience with us because all of our athletes are independent contractors. Unlike any of the other sports where you have people that can make these decisions for you, you know, the bottom line is with us is it's the athlete, you know? So I think when I first started two and a half years ago, you would see athletes hiding a lot of little injuries and things like that. Um, now you see them coming to me firsthand, you know, sending me a picture. Hey, do you think this, you know, I can't tell you. I think last fight I had four athletes that I knew of that had small fractures, you know, and people be like, oh my God, you let them compete. I mean, mind you, it was like a pinky toe, you know, it was this, that, or the other that occurred five or six weeks that was almost healed, like a nose fracture. Like there's injuries that, you know, these athletes can compete through. And as long as the safety of the athlete isn't at harm, I have no problem pulling out all of the tricks and trades to get that athlete to be able to compete. I, I really do look at these athletes fighting as their Olympic day. So I think that's one thing that I pulled over from my Olympic background is, you know, I worked with athletes that would compete one every four years or once in a lifetime. And that was their day. So one thing I think I brought uniquely over to this side is, you know, I look at their fights this way. This is how they make all of their income. This is how they support their families. So they don't know when they're going to fight again. Some guys fight once, twice, three times, you know, 
rarely do you see anybody more than four or five times fight a year. And that's their entire income for their families and their children and, and their lifestyles. So I really truly look at that fight as their Olympic day and anything as long as their health isn't in jeopardy and I can help and tweak and figure out ways, you know, whether it's an ankle sprain and we just need to tape it, you know, the night of the fight, whether it's, you know, a small little fracture where we can, you know, do some technology and kind of speed up a little bit of the healing and make it feel good going into the fight and they have no symptoms and it's really not going to be any worse than it already is, you know, in that sense. So it's very unique. And, you know, yes, I think I have the understanding with the athletes that I'm going to have a real come to Jesus if if I think they need to pull from the fight. You know, these are all adults and I can literally take a step back and say, hey, let's look at this is what's the pros versus cons. If we're if we have a serious injury and you can't be your best on that night and you lose this, what is how is it going to affect your whole career? And when you actually have these conversations and, you know, are super honest and real with them, they can take a step back and realize on some of these injuries, it is smarter to pull out where others are. You know, there's a lot of ways you can push through and still have a very successful evening. Mm -hmm. This is this next question is going to be horribly context specific, but um, okay. what, what are the kind of best examples in which you think the management differs with these athletes or perhaps the, the setting that you've got in the Performance Institute um, in comparison to maybe traditional, uh, more traditional sports rather than clinics because clinics are, are very, very different to sport anyway? Yep. So I think what we do best with the management of athletes is, you know, most facilities when an athlete is injured, they're really, you know, stepping on their medical team for that injury, right? They're looking at what can we do from an injury standpoint? Is this person going to be able to compete? And for us, an injury is a whole team approach. So yes, they might come to me first for an evaluation. Like we have an athlete that is in here this week that's supposed to compete with an injury. And the minute this athlete stepped in, I was like, okay, here's what the injury is. Now, now let's look at the weight cut, you know, let's look at nutrition. What can we pull in from a nutritional standpoint in order to assist in what I'm seeing from the physical injury standpoint, you know, uh, something that's going to be a diet that helps decrease inflammation, something that's going to help with bone healing or is going to help with ligament tendon healing, things like that. Um, where is their weight for the weight class? And then we pull in our strength and conditioning and say, okay, what can we do from a strength and conditioning to make sure that this athlete makes weight? How can we do the other three limbs or the core and lumbar spine in order to make them still maintain their strength and not lose any of that? So I think one thing we really do is we don't just look at one thing. So like an athlete comes in weak, we're not looking at, okay, they're weak. We need to only do strengthen, you know, strengthen them and put them on a program. We're like, okay, Heather, why are they weak? Look at their body, evaluate them from head to toe. And are there reasons why these muscles aren't activating or they're not achieving what they want to nutrition? Why aren't they achieving that strength? You know, are they not feeling themselves properly or feeling them at the appropriate time? So I think that's a really unique thing we do here at the UFC Performance Institute is everything is looked at from a whole team approach where I think in a lot of facilities, you know, if someone's injured, they're just in the PT room and that's all you kind of worry about. But we fully are integrated from all aspects, which makes us, I think, really unique as a facility. What do you do in terms of like the the late stage? Because, you know, in, in a lot of other sports, you can use things like GPS and you can use acceleration data. You know, the list goes on to reverse engineer the physical qualities or standards that they need to get to to be a training and, you know, match level, essentially. When you've got, fa- huh. you know, when you've got people like grapplers or strikers. How do you kind of create the key performance indicators for them to work to in the in the rehab pathway? 
Yep. So one thing we've really pride ourselves in is doing a lot of baseline. So not only am I working from an orthopedic baseline assessment on where these athletes are. So we're using Biodex for isokinetic strength testing. We're using force plates for, you know, movement jumps, lunges. Um, we're working with our strength and conditioning coaches to see what is the power, what's the output. I'm working with my sports scientists to look at, you know, from the VO2 max standpoint, I'm looking at my nutrition from a resting metabolic rate and metabolic efficiency testing. So one thing I think we do is we have a lot of baseline information on these athletes. So number one, that's probably our first thing that we look at, you know, concussion baselines, all of that. Like where do these athletes fall from their norm? You know, it's, it's really hard to group these athletes, like you said, because they come from multiple sports, but we're starting to be able with all the data that we've collected, being able to say, okay, you know, a grappler at 145, these are kind of where the average numbers should be. Does he fall within the norm, outside the norm? Is he toward the top of the norm? You know, like what are we seeing? And then from a injury standpoint, really, really, really look at keeping within a 10% asymmetry, you know, are they able to do any of, you know, the best scale, all of the different, you know, testing is out there that we can utilize. But, you know, we really look at parameters remaining within a 10% asymmetry of these athletes for a return to play or return to fight. And then we also look at all the baseline functions and all the data we've acquired over the past two and a half years. I would say we probably have baselines on about 80 to, if not 85% of our um, 600 rostered athletes. So. Wow, that's I can imagine that's logistically incredibly difficult <laughs> to achieve, <laughs> especially it, geographically. It has been, but you'd be shocked, you know, when you start. We like, for example, we had an athlete come into us that was more of a heavyweight, and you know, just wasn't really knocking anybody out. And the strength, he was probably one of our top in that weight class, strength-wise. But when we started looking at power and how he transferred, you know, the strength, he was losing a lot. So redefining on how he trains and redefining on that allowed us in the next year to really specifically individualize his program in order to get a better power output from all the strength because he just wasn't doing a good job. So when you start to look at that and athletes realize, oh my gosh, I want to know where I fall in these categories and, you know, where's my strengths and where's my weaknesses in my division. This is what we're really are, we're designed for is to help put those numbers and really change the culture of MMA in that aspect. And I'm sure for some of the fighters, you know, working with um, the likes of yourself might be their um, their first exposure to kind of sports therapy at the level that you provide. Are, are you finding that you're able to boost their performance and get quite high levels of buy-in from them in that situation? Yeah, yeah, we really are. You know, when we have an athlete that, you know, a lot of these guys have that really forward framework and posturing from, you know, just the sport. And when we show them, you know, with increased mobility of the shoulder, now strengthening those, you know, that mobility at the end ranges, we're now creating more power output. Look at your strength numbers. So when you start showing these athletes on the improvements, they get super excited and, you know, they really start to get that buy-in. Also, when you have an athlete that, you know, maybe has had an injury from a long time ago, you know, they get shoulder impingement or they get, you know, they've had a labrum tear, but they've never had it fixed. You know, a lot of our athletes have these and with a really good corrective program, um, making sure their mechanics stay appropriately. And, you know, they're counterbalancing their sport when they're doing their strength and conditioning. These guys can go an entire career without this injury ever, like really bothering them. And when I last spoke to you, it was, it was, um, it was very clear and that you're, that you're very proud and passionate about, um, your role at the organization, but also how you function with the rest of the team. Um, yep. how does the, the sort of UFC multidisciplinary team function or, you know, specifically what's the process that, or the philosophies for how you manage yep. and care for an athlete? 
So the philosophy really is, is the team approach. I mean, they walk in that door. So, you know, an athlete might be brought in because they're having issues with weight cuts or making weight. An athlete might be brought in because they don't really, they can't afford to have a strength and conditioning coach and they don't even know what their power and what their strength is or, you know, what their VO2 maxes are and stuff. Or an athlete simply had an injury that's been nagging or it was a trauma from a fight. Um, so the minute that athlete walks in, Everything is customized, individualized for them. So one thing I think we're really good at is, you know, a lot of teams that you see out there that have, you know, a big amount of athletes, they're treated as, you know, all the linemen go over here and do this. All the quarterbacks are going to go over here. All the forwards, you know, whatnot, depending on the positions they play. But really for us, we never categorize anybody. And I think that's what makes us so unique with our multidisciplinary function is, yes, you're having nutrition, you're having strength, you're having, you know, we're possibly just bringing in sports psychologists, you're having sports science, you're having medical, all these people around you that want to individualize all aspects of that in order to better your function. So I think that's kind of what we are known for and how we stand out from others as that multidisciplinary team is really looking at the individualized athlete, what are their needs? You know, we've had also some other professional athletes come through our doors, spend some off season with us. And I can't tell you how many times athletes are like, wow, you guys really individualize everything. Like you're not making me do the same guy, even if he's the same exact position as me. And that's honestly what we do with our weight classes. You know, there's some of our weight class guys they might be winning because they're really good at their strengths or they might be winning because they don't have many weaknesses, but really it's finding what's best for that athlete in order for, to keep them healthy, make them as strong as possible, make sure they have a seamless weight cut and getting them into the octagon with all disciplines functioning at the highest level. Yeah. And again, kind of privy to our last chat, I know um, co-assessing, um, if you like, or co-planning and co-decision-making is an approach that you harness. Can you elaborate on how you do this at the Institute? Yep. So at least once a week, if not twice a week, we have rounds where literally every staff member in this facility. So mind you, we have three strength and conditioning coaches and their interns. We have nutrition. We have three nutrition sports dietitianists and their interns. We have sports science and their interns. We have our VP of performance, our VP of MMA, our VP of operations. We have our three medical team and our students that literally sit at a table and go over every single case that's coming through this door. Who's new coming in? Who's still here? Who's on the next fight card? What athletes have we? Do we have touch points on that fight card? What athletes had injuries from the last fight that occurred last week? And honestly, looking at that athlete, you know, and going through all disciplines on how we've worked with them, how we can better them, how we can help them and moving to each week to week really helps, you know, us co-assess everything. You know, it's amazing when you're sitting at a table talking about something and maybe an athlete, you know, is in physical therapy with me and tells me something that's going on in their personal life. And then, you know, my strength and conditioning coach is like, I don't know what's going on last week. Like nothing, all the numbers. And, you know, it's like, oh wait, actually this person has a lot of things going on personally. Like they're moving, they have this, that, you know, financially they're struggling. They haven't got a fight. They have this injury. And you can start to, okay, now let's pull in, you know, sports psych here. Let's pull in, you know, sports science here. Like, what are they overtraining, you know? Or it's simply an example of this that happened today is we have an athlete that has had two injuries in the past week. And, I mean, one of our top athletes, and he's like, I just don't know what's going on. And, like, when we broke down a system, when we did, you know, Omega Wave and looked at his heart, his cardiovascular system, looked at his brain, you know, all of those systems, parasympathetic symptoms were just 
all over the place. So it's really easy when you have that round table to start to figure out and put together these pieces that might inhibit you from really moving forward with this athlete and not allow that athlete to reach its finest function. Um, so we really do love doing the round tables. I mean, we never miss them. You're one minute late and we're all giving you a hard time, you know, so that we do take them very seriously, but it really helps the decision-making process for how that week is going to go and what we can do to make that athlete's life better. And who is there one person that kind of leads or chairs and coordinates that process or discussion about yeah. a fighter? Yeah. So Dr. Duncan French, our VP of performance is takes the lead on the case. So literally he takes the lead, reviews everything we need to review. And then literally every person we go around the table and anything that wasn't covered that is occurring, that person speaks up. So, you know, like he's like, okay, here's who's in, here's who's out, here's who's fighter coming up. And then now we go, okay, next it goes to the VP operations. Here's what, here's what the business side of it, you know, who here's the tours this athlete reached out to us from an operational standpoint and is struggling, you know, or Forrest Griffin, you know, he's our kind of our, I would say athlete liaison between performance and their MMA side. And he's like, you know, Hey, I noticed this guy upstairs. He's holding his shoulder. Every time he hits this punch, like I'm going to send him to you. And like, and then, you know, each division and each person, I mean, we even have our students every day coming in and talking about, you know, what are they doing? How are they doing it? Are they impacting it? So I think that allows them also to kind of step up and get a voice as well as see things, you know, more minds that are looking at one athlete and being able to help them is always better. And when you've got the athlete from your perspective, um, clinically, do you have the strength coach to hand with you also assessing them, you know, in, in combination with you? So sometimes we do a combination assessment. Sometimes we each do our own and then we round table again on where our assessments, um, because, I also find it'll be interesting. I'll see something and then the strength coach will see something. We come in and I'm like, Hey, his right. He's like, Oh yeah, he's so weak on this side. Or like they'll do a DEXA with our nutritionist and they'll see like, um, Hey, this is going on. You know, we're seeing bone density difference. And then I start prying on their past medical history and they had a previous fracture on that side when they were younger and this, that, and the other. So I definitely think we do a lot of like kind of integrated evaluations, but with each of us taking our components and then see how they lay on top of each other. Do you get many opportunities, you know, in the middle of the day to change systems and programs? Because I can imagine when you've got a full house of fighters, plus, <laughs> plus maybe uh, fighters walking in from training with whatever issues they've got in the moment. How do you kind of coordinate and, and maintain that uh, consistency or ability to react as well? So some of the nice things I would say is the way our, our facility is laid out. Um, our physical therapy clinic is glass doors. And some people might look at that and be like, oh my God, patient privacy, that's so bad. But honestly, it allows our strength coaches to look in and us to look out. Our strength floor is right in front of us. So if I see an athlete that's doing rehab with me or just an athlete in general, that I'm like, you know what? I don't really like the way they look without exercise. I can literally walk right there and they're right in front of me and I can chat with the strength coach. Or because we have such a seamless like open door policy, our strength coaches, when they're not working on someone, they'll come in if their guys are getting worked on, like, hey, have, you know, what do you think? What are the limitations of today? So, I mean, that door is always, and our facility in physical therapy is quite small. It's basically only there for, like, the manual aspect of physical therapy. And then any rehabs and exercises and stuff, we're really going out onto the strength floor with our strength coaches and doing our rehabs right there. So the strength coach is like, oh, I see why you're doing that. Okay, I'll make sure he looks the same way that he's doing this. So it's really like that. And then, like, our nutritionists really half the time their nutrition consults end up almost being on the physical therapy table because they're saying to me like, Oh, I didn't eat or I feel this, or I feel really slow. I'm not eating. I couldn't get through my practice. And I'm like, okay, Hey, 
quick text to my nutritionist and they're shot down and they're starting to talk to that athlete and then that, you know, schedule a more formal session to review everything. So I would say all day long, we're kind of moving on the fly and changing our days. You know, an athlete comes in and tells strength and conditioning, they got hit like, okay, go over to see sports med. Let's talk about the concussion protocols. Let's talk about, you know, getting a follow-up assessment on you and things like that. So it's the way they out like outlined us, everything from a performance standpoint is on the first floor. So it's really seamless for us to always talk and be talking and ever changing throughout our day, depending on what the needs of the athletes are. Yeah. I'm, I'm do you know, I'm really interested actually, cause that's, that's, I guess that's the in-house operation. Um, and you've mentioned that the fighters are independent contractors from, from your point of view, how I'm, I, I'm wondering, how do you kind of manage the, the challenges where you've got independent contractors maybe they've got their own guys their own coaches their yep. own clinicians um they speak different languages they're based all over the entire all over uh, uh, all over the world how do you kind yeah. of um do your role effectively in-house um and kind of act as mission control for for everything geographically Everybody else. <laughs> yeah. so i would say foremost one thing we really pride ourselves in is we always have an open door policy. So, you know, we understand that we have 600 athletes globally on our roster and we're not going to be able to program for 600 athletes, manage the rehab of 600 athletes. So it's really relying on our partnerships that we've developed outside. You know, we've traveled to Australia quite a bit. We now have not only various physical therapy teams we work with, um, sports chiros we work with there, but also nutritionists and chefs. And now we're working seamlessly with them. So we'll go and they'll be, you know, being our sous chef for our chef and helping us out. And then, you know, helping the athletes that they know and telling us, Hey, what do you think about this? Is there anything you've learned? I've seen him every day, but this isn't getting better. So we're constantly keeping that open door policy. And we really, you know, we really promote the athletes bringing their teams when they come to the PI. So if an athlete comes in, I'm like, Hey, bring your medical person, bring your strength and conditioning, bring your nutrition, because in the end, these people are going to be what's carrying out the program and really impacting the culture. We can only be, you know, a small entity that can spread the knowledge as much as we've learned. And then it's really up to our partnerships and the people we've met around the world to keep this going for us. So that's one thing we're really open-minded on it. You know, when I was at the Olympic training center, it was like the minute, uh, an athlete was like, Hey, I have this really great PT. Oh, they can't come in here. This is our way of the highway. And and you really can't be that way with athletes. They're going to, they're globally all over the world. They're going to have things that really work for them. There's going to be ways that techniques that they've learned from different clinicians. And as long as you really keep an open mind and you're really looking at, you know, I know we want to be really evidence-based, which we really, you know, push ourselves to be in this facility. But in the scheme of things, when you look at some of the stuff we do from a clinical standpoint, some of it evidence-based wise doesn't work and some of it works really well. So keeping that open-minded on what has worked for that athlete, working with their clinicians to raise the bar and raise the standards all across the board. And then, you know, having that partnership where I can reach out, Hey, are, are the rehab is, how's the rehab going? I can't tell you how many clinicians I work with and they'll be like, send me, you know, a monthly, Hey, his ACL rehab is doing great head or, you know what, this isn't working. Is there anything you've seen that you've done with them? And, and I love when we get clinicians all across the board and all different disciplines that really want to work together. That's kind of what we stand for. I mean, you must have to be very good kind of critically in the research, but also really open mind because, um, yep. I mean, I've heard Duncan French speak before and, and yep. express the challenges around the, the sheer lack of, um, you know, studies that are based on of studies on fighters, yep. especially uh, MMA fighters. Um, how do you how do you kind of um, navigate your way through the literature or the science to try and mm-hmm. work out what's meaningful in your environment? 
Yep. So first and foremost, it's like athletes need comes first. That's definitely it. But, you know, definitely we try to every week and stuff start to look at, we've compiled, you know, different ways to look at research and what things that, what programs and courses that various clinicians have gone through, what's evidence-based, what's not. And then we take that and we look at it. How does it impact the athletes here? Athletes that are here day in, day out, you know, what services are we providing that they're coming back and giving us positive feedback? What are services we're providing? And, you know, they're like, eh, it doesn't really, you know, work in this environment. And we get that a lot. You know, a lot of athletes in this environment, from an injury standpoint, want to be out there. And they don't care if they're holding their arm up, you know, with their other arm as long as their feet work. You know? So you honestly have to be able to be very multiple in this population and be like, okay, he's obviously going to train no matter what. How do we get him so he doesn't need to hold his other arm up and he can defend a block on at least that left side? And then what things do we use from a science standpoint? You know, is it modalities we need to help that injury? Is it manual-based care, which you'll see is pretty much predominantly what we do 90% of the time in this facility? Um, you know, is there anything from a research standpoint? And I always, you know, what's the best thing about having students is you can always throw these research stuff. So you can throw five or six articles and you can say, okay, I want you to pull out X, Y, Z in these articles and really, you know, not waste your time and your learning from your students as well, which I love to do to them. Like, I think my students would probably be like, oh my God, she gives me this homework and this homework. But in the end, they're like, this is really good. I learned a ton out of this and it helps me, you know, being the busy clinician, not only managing two facilities, but also, you know, clinically, I see eight to 10 a day, at least I would say minimal. Um, That also helps me to challenge them. Like, hey, you know, this athlete's coming in and says, this is a new modality and this is really good. You know, let's pull all the research and then let's have a working lunch group on it and talk about what we found when it's been useful. Is it useful for us? Um, is it something we need? You know, we have some modalities here that uh, some people might be like, ah, the evidence isn't that great. But I also find in athletics, when you don't have stuff that athletes are looking for, they're going to go somewhere else to find it. So it's finding that happy medium of being able to provide them with what they're looking for knowing the evidence on it and finding the appropriate time. Because I think a lot of the things that we look at from a clinical standpoint look bad on evidence because they just do it on everybody. So I think that's one thing, you know, taking away is, you know, where are those cases appropriate? You know, is the cryo chamber appropriate for this? Because this athlete hates water, scares him, almost drowned, doesn't like getting wet. And you know what? I need some vasoconstriction. Okay, the cryo chamber is appropriate. You know what I mean? It's looking more from that science aspect to find the appropriateness of everything we have and not steering away from it just because the evidence might be not be this. You know what I mean? I mean, I've got to be really honest. I think um, having seen what these guys do to each other in the octagon, uh, I definitely wouldn't be heavily enforcing anything they didn't want to do too much. Um, especially around cold rooms or cold water um (laughs) big softies don't don't let that so the you know what they've taught me this if anything is sometimes you know you'll you'll run into some people and you're like man you know sometimes that person just needs to get hit in the face and they do this for a living so they're very much when you take them outside of that octagon they're probably the most down-to-earth open for everything because that's what they do for a living so they walk away and they're big gentle giants and and they're opening to being better athletes and really taking critical feedback which is pretty cool yeah they've got nothing to prove about how tough they are to the uh, to the average person have they so um, no, they don't. Exactly. I think you answered my question as well, because when I was I was wondering, how on earth do you do all of that with only seven days in a week? Um, 
I don't sleep. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, how, what's your secret? But I think you've explained it now. <laughs> no, I don't sleep. I mean, most people would probably claim I'm a little over the top on that sense. But I mean, I really truly love what I do. And when you truly love what you do, you know, you're willing to give up those extra hours in order to do what you love. And it's been such an amazing experience with the UFC and getting to, you know, impact these athletes. You know, really the first thing when I started here and I talked to my bosses about, you know, what, what if no athletes show up for rehab? And they're like, you know, name your brand. What do you want to do? And really, I truly believe in athlete-centered individual approaches, having that multidisciplinary. And it just strives for me to be a better clinician day in and day out. And I love what we've started to create. And I can't wait to see where the doors open from here with what we're doing. Yeah, what an exciting organization to be a part of. Absolutely. Um, for kind of any of the, uh, I guess, clinicians or coaches or anyone um, yep. in the wider field uh, that's listening, <laughs> are there any kind of good resources that um, you would turn them to if they were perhaps wanting to upskill in how they manage or treat uh, fighters? Yep. Um, I think definitely like taking the manual approach on everything and looking at the athlete as a whole. You know, first off and foremost, when these athletes come in with injuries, you know, we're really quick to look at the injury, but knowing the why of why this occurred. So, when I recommend to anybody, I'm like, okay, first treat the whole body. Look at what are they doing? What compensatory movement patterns are they doing? Where are these little holes in their orthopedic screenings of the full body to see? You know, a lot of athletes will come into me and say, you know, hey, I think I my hamstrings are tight. And time in and time out, I've seen clinicians not actually do a full lumbar spine evaluation because they're, you know, they're like, oh, I think they just have a hamstring strain. But really, their hip position was bad. They had some neural tension, you know, positive slump test, um, diminished reflex, and you start looking at the whole body. So I really don't think it's, you know, one thing. I think having as many tools in your toolbox is definitely something I preach. I'm definitely someone that I think tends to be a continuing ed junkie and loving to learn different techniques. Do I think there's one, like, big technique that's, you know, the end all be all now, I think it's being able to adjust to the different tools that are needed for that different situation and that different athlete. And that's probably what I think would be my biggest recommendation out there. Yeah, I mean, I guess you've got a diverse range of athletes, diverse range of physical qualities. So you need a diverse range of um, tools as to how you approach their assessment and their treatment and, and their overall management. So yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, Where can people find you if they want to kind of track your (laughs) progress and your activity? Um, all of my social media is my first and last name. So it's all Heather Linden. I'm always open for a good conversation, people challenging and learning from. And definitely if there's great techniques out there that they've had before, I'd love to hear them. Cool. Well, I think we're on the clock there, but thank you. Thank you very much for generously giving up some time amongst uh, what seems like an impossible task for you. <laughs> so yeah, thank you very much. That was very generous. Oh my gosh, no problem at all. Thanks for having me so much today. I appreciate it. I'd like to thank Dr. Heather Linden for coming on the show and providing us with such an open insight into both the workings of the UFC medically and how she provides the highest standard of care for the fighters, both in-house and globally. As usual, the episode and show notes can be found at our website, informperformance.com. And don't forget to find us on Instagram at informperformance or on Twitter at informpod. Next week, I will be geeking out on tendon management with physiotherapist and tendon expert Ebony Rio. I hope you enjoyed episode 18 of the Informed Performance podcast and thank you for listening.